What is going on? It is the Sports Ethos Clippers podcast coming at you on a Friday evening after the Los Angeles Clippers destroy the San Antonio Spurs by a score of 138 to 100. I believe Noah Eagle said on the radio yesterday it was the largest win in history. Uh, 38-point victory against San Antonio. And for the Spurs, the last time they got swept by the Clippers in a season series was when they went on to draft Tim Duncan, according to Noah. He was spitting some good bites on the broadcast yesterday. And when you listen to the broadcast, it's always very solid. But when you want to read about what happened at the game, you look at The Athletic. And you look at Law Murray, at Law Murray, the NU on Twitter, joining us from Chile, Chicago, as we talk about the Clippers' four-game win streak and look ahead to the six-game roadie. Law, welcome back to the Sports Ethos Clippers podcast, my guy. Thank you for having me. Let's jump straight into it. Let's talk about yesterday first. The Clippers, uh, wouldn't you know it, you get your healthy players, or rather you get your stars healthy, and you win ball games. It's funny how that works. And you said yesterday on Twitter that the Clippers are now plus 96 in PG and Kawhi's 20 games this season. It's funny how it works, that when your two best players are healthy, you win ball games. I don't really want to jump the gun here because the four games the Clippers won weren't against the best of teams. Granted, Dallas is a solid team, but San Antonio is not very good and the Lakers are the Lakers. So I'm curious to see how you would evaluate this four-game win streak. How much are you looking at this as, hey, this team is back on track? And how much are you looking at it as the Clippers played against a a couple of teams who are not that great? Which way are you leaning? I'm going to lean in the middle. You you don't pick your your opponents, right? Um, I mean, Clippers certainly don't. <laughs> so, like, I I don't like bashing teams for beating um, teams that are not good. And let's just be real. We've seen the Clippers. They haven't lost to the worst teams in the NBA, but they haven't always been impressive. And they were increasingly better in each game. Uh, they'll win over the Spurs. Friday night in San Antonio, that was obviously a win that got them back to 500 after they dipped under 500 for the first time since the first week of November. Even though that game was the only game in the NBA this entire season where both teams managed to score 140 points per 100 possessions, which means that it was as defenseless a game as we've seen across the NBA at all. It was still like, okay, we've seen the Clippers offense be terrible. Okay, so that was progress in itself. Just just winning a shootout like that, um, even if it was against San Antonio, then beating Dallas in Dallas, a matinee game. Was impressive to me, Uh, especially the way they closed the game out like they it it was it wasn't close by the end. And it's not like the Mavericks are unfamiliar with the Clippers. The Clippers had just beaten them the previous week. So that was an improvement. The way they beat the Lakers in Los Angeles coming home after being out of California for three games and absorbing one of the best LeBron James performances of the season, uh, certainly the best shooting LeBron James performance we've ever seen. We've never seen LeBron make nine threes in a game before. We knew LeBron was going to come out with some gas. And they didn't just beat them. They beat them by 18 like that, like everyone was talking about LeBron finally getting 40 plus on the Clippers. All that did was 
now LeBron can say that that was the worst loss of his career when he scored 40 points in a game, you know, 40 plus points in a game. So there was a step there. And then finally, to beat the Spurs by as much as they did was the cherry on top of getting guys healthy, of figuring out what they want to do offensively, and then finally playing some defense, which is something that they struggled with outside of the Dallas game. They struggled with a, a, a lot um, this month. So I, I lean towards being impressed by the, the win streak. And it's an opportunity for the Clippers to build on something because now they don't have those easy opponents coming up. And we're going to see just how much the improvement and the stability uh, can persist here. Yeah, and I mean, the sky was falling when the Clippers lost the 76ers. And part of the reason why the sky was falling was because people were continually looking at the Clippers playing against good teams and losing. I mean, any single time the Clippers played against a good team this season, apart from that Boston game, it really felt like they were losing those games. All the wins were coming against bad opponents on the schedule. And I'm glad you said what you did because it really does feel like, hey, you got to give this team credit for winning four games. It's not easy to win in the NBA. But granted, the Clippers have struggled at times against these bad teams. So to see them beat these bad teams uh, like San Antonio, and I'm going to put the the Lakers in there because of their record. And Dallas, I I feel like, is still a one-man show really with Luka, but they're still a solid team. But to beat those three teams the way they did shows that something is starting to work. And we'll talk about it in a little bit, but it feels like Ty Lue is starting to figure things out as well with trying to avoid all those guards coming off the bench. So we look at this 4-0 streak, and certainly it's something to be impressive about. And I mentioned those numbers that you brought up about PG and Kawhi and the plus 96. Also, Shane Young at Young NBA on Twitter posted yesterday the Clippers are now 72-28 and in the regular season when Kawhi and PG play. That's a 72% win percentage. These two guys... Law have looked really good, and especially yesterday, PG, he was getting whatever he wanted, and he was red hot. I mean, you look at what his numbers were, 14 of 19 for PG is something that's really unheard of, and to get that defensive stuff as well, and then Kawhi, I mean, Kawhi's just been sensational. We've talked about on this podcast that it really does feel like Kawhi is back to being that peak Kawhi, but I think the, the PG performance impresses me even more because it kind of feels like PG's getting accustomed to this new role as the pseudo point guard. How do you feel like he has looked over the last couple of games, and how much do you think he's already improved in just a small amount of time? The turnovers is the thing with yeah. Paul. Yeah. The, the reason why Kawhi Leonard is the better player here to Paul George is because Kawhi Leonard plays the game to make the right play every time. And we can say two things about Paul George. Uh, he doesn't always do that. And he has a higher ceiling than, than PG than, than Kawhi does. Um, when you look at how effortlessly he makes his game, Kawhi is a methodical basketball player. Paul George is look, there's a reason the kids love Paul George, man. Like he is an aesthetically pleasing basketball player. Except when he's dribbling off his foot or <laughs> jumping in the air and throwing to whoever is in the second row. <laughs> he has limited that significantly. And that's a key for a team that obviously is asking Paul George to be more of a playmaker, which is great for him because first year with Teron Lou, 
obviously the emphasis was for Paul George to take more of an ownership of the offense and Chauncey Billups being the assistant coach and a former finals MVP at point guard, a guy who should be in the hall of fame, but we're not having that conversation today. Uh, he obviously, uh, you, when you, when you look at the progression Paul made as a player, uh, like, he was an all NBA player. He was an all NBA selection, not just an all-star selection. So um, it's not a stretch to have Paul George be the primary playmaker. It's just a matter of, does he have enough relief on the floor? And Terrence Mann, Kawhi Leonard, it's pretty good relief. If you ask me. So uh, I'm, I'm not surprised that Paul is playing well. It's just a matter of, can he consistently make appropriate decisions? If he's going to do that, Guess what? The Clippers are all of a sudden not a bottom five offense anymore. You're talking about a very dangerous team because the, even when they were terrible offensively, it wasn't because T. Lou didn't know what he was doing as far as scheme. It was a matter of these guys executing properly. It was a matter of these guys having wasteful possessions. It was a matter of some of obviously T. Lou's lineups were, weren't helpful, but at, at the end of the day, like, a, a good offense gets good shots and these guys are getting good shots. It was just a matter of either making them or taking enough of them. Well, now they're doing that and you're seeing these dudes put up 70 point hats and, and, and Paul George is a primary catalyst of that. And he shot over 50% in every single game during this four game win streak. So it's amazing. 60. He's at 60%. Yeah. Overall over the last four games. Yeah. That's, that's again, completely unsustainable oh yeah completely unsustainable but if you can get like that then it counts man it counts all the same look at it from this perspective this next week is very interesting obviously the clippers finally put a week of great basketball together their first score game win streak of the year can they do it again because guess what in the playoffs a playoff series is no longer than two weeks you show any two weeks of strong basketball, then that means that, oh, you, you got some guys who can do some things when it matters, when, you know, when it matters most. This is the urgency that we were all talking about. And urgency comes in different ways. Some of it is defense. Some of it is attention to detail. Some of it is not, you know, wasting possessions. Paul, Paul still gets, you know, some galaxy brain stuff. Like that Lakers game, there are some moments where Paul, it was like, Paul, what are you doing? Yeah. Why are you shooting this three? We've never seen you shoot like this. You're getting caught up, you know? But when Paul locks in and Paul knows how to lock in, it's the ability to do it, and he's shown that. Zero turnovers in the two games versus the Spurs, and it's no surprise that the Clippers end up winning those games. And his numbers look really similar to the ones that we saw in 2020 when he shot 46.7%. Right now he's at 467 The rest of his numbers look pretty similar as well. Um, he's shooting a hair worse from three than he did that year. But this is clearly a guy that is a top 15 player when he is going at the rate he's going. And if he's able to stay healthy, obviously a big if, it's huge to the Clippers. And it goes back to how I started this pod saying, it's amazing that you have your two best players healthy and wins come along with it. Now, what's going to happen going forward in this road trip? We'll see because they're going to have tougher teams and we're going to have a back-to-back coming this weekend. We'll see if PG even plays in both those games. But 
this will be a test for the Clippers. And before we go and preview this road trip, because you're on it, I want to talk about what has been the main talking point apart from the two stars. And that has been the lack of guards coming off the bench because Luke obviously was hurt until he came back yesterday. And then John Wall has been out. So that has prompted a lot more wing stop from the Clippers playing those guys like Robert Covington and Nick Batum and Marcus Morris with Kawhi and PG and Norm Powell and not having those guards on the floor together. And then we see yesterday that Kennard comes back and he starts instead of coming off the bench so that Ty Lue can avoid having those guards come off the bench. And you would think that the way Ty Lue has been coaching in the last couple of weeks, and this is obviously not what's happening, but you would think that he's reading Clippers Twitter of everyone that's going crazy saying, why are so many guards being paired together off the bench when we know the numbers are so bad? I'm curious your thoughts on why Ty Lue finally decided to break up those guards off the bench because it seemed like it was just a matter of time for it to happen. And the numbers clearly show that putting Reggie and Powell and Kennard all on the floor together was a recipe for disaster. Why do you think he finally decided to make the change? Because it's worked. I mean, look, T. T. Lou, he he sees a lot of things. He hears a lot of things from his own front office, from his own analytics staff. You know, man's doesn't need to be on Twitter. Thank, (laughs) Thank goodness for him. Like, I'm sure he he sees what he he wants to see on Twitter without being on it. That's how most of you know. There's, that's how a lot of people work, you know. So um, the numbers just got too obvious for T. Now I don't think the question is why did he go away from it. I think T. Lou is always going to go away from it at some point. I think the question really is why was he trying it in the first place? And the answer to that question is simple. Kawhi and Paul George and their unavailability. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like T was in a spot where obviously he's a head coach and a former NBA point guard. He's trying to implement offense. He's trying to get guys, you know, to have a system that they're, that they're comfortable with. And so it's easy for people to go online and look at the numbers and to make their deductions and act like this is NBA 2K and that it's all going to work itself out. When in reality, if you're building your system coming out of camp and then a week into the season, you don't know when Kawhi's coming back. And then Kawhi comes back and both he and PG leave. All of a sudden, you're caught trying to figure figure some different things out. And so, again, we go back to the offense being terrible. It was terrible. Uh, for a lot of reasons, but you're trying to implement guys and get them comfortable in roles, both for the current state of the team as well as for the ideal state of the team. That's hard. That's hard. It's hard to get guys to screen when they're not used to screening. It's hard to get guys to be, you know, the, these actual playmakers instead of theoretical playmakers. And yeah, after a while, T. Lou was like, we're not good anyway. Uh, we can't be playing our worst lineups. And so, honestly, it coincides. The success from moving on from those lineups coincides with Kawhi being a lot better in December and January than he was in October and November. It coincides with Paul George being able to come back and take on a a heavy role with Kawhi instead of without Kawhi, uh, which is what we saw most of October and November. And 
then it just goes to, okay, how do you support guys? You know, mm-hmm. Terrence Mann is a player who T. Lou felt bad about how much they were asking him to do earlier in the season. T. Uh, T. Lou basically was saying Terrence is ideally a three, but we're having him play basically the five. And because he's one of the best screeners on the team, a guy who's comfortable rolling, a guy who's comfortable hitting the offensive boards and, and putting shots back up, uh, which is something that none of the, the power forwards do effectively. Right. Um, and so Terrence was, that's why he took Rocco's minutes. Uh, when Rocco went into health and safety protocols, Terrence finally had a position that he could focus on. And T. Lou was like, I can't take Terrence out the rotation, you know, because he affects the team in a positive way. Now Terrence is playing point guard, but not really playing point guard. It's, it's a lot. And, yeah, that can be frustrating to players. you damn right it's frustrating to a coach. Um, but – now the question is going to be what happens when the team is at full strength because there has been some addition by subtraction this month. Obviously, John has struggled. Uh, obviously, John has been a project all year because they want to support him in his return to play um, and put a cap on it. But also, when John improves one thing, he falls off on another thing. Like his shooting is actually John's shooting has actually been better since Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, his finishing hasn't been. Unfortunately, uh, his defense has been inconsistent, and part of that was because of the lineups that C. Lou was putting out there. What's going to happen when he gets on the floor? Like, is he going to be inactive? Is, is Reggie Jackson going to be back on the third string? Um, there's still a lot more to be determined, and there's not a whole lot of time to determine it because we're staring at the trade deadline in a matter of less than two weeks. That was my next question. I was going to ask you what your thoughts were on John Wall and whether he even has a role on this team because I certainly don't think he does now. Uh, I mean, they, they already have enough guards as is, and it just feels like trying to throw one more into the mix to try and get playing time, and it's not going to happen because we've seen Reggie Jackson get those DMP CDs. Now he's back, and he seems to be more comfortable in the role that he has. It just doesn't feel like there's a spot for John Wall on this team, and you mentioned the trade deadline. And it's already been difficult with Ty Lue trying to figure out lineups where he can maximize everyone's strengths. The Clippers most likely are going to make a move and it's going to add to Ty Lue trying to figure out something else. And this guy has not gotten a break this season where he's been able to actually evaluate his team for a long stretch of time. So you're right in terms of why he went to the guards early. Certainly, I think they're part of the issue that I had was when he said that he didn't know what Terrence Mann's role was. He gave these DMP CDs to Rocco, who clearly should have been playing, but he was obviously trying to see something. It's just difficult with what the Clippers are trying to do right now, where they have guys in and out of the lineup. I mean, tomorrow there's going to be no Robert Covington because of personal reasons. Marcus is questionable. Marcus missed the last game. But goes back to what I was originally going to ask you, I mean – I don't think John Wall has a spot on this team right now. It just doesn't make sense for him to enter this rotation. What what are your thoughts? My thoughts are T. Lou has not sat John Wall for a game that John Wall is available for yet. Right. He's done that to Reggie. He's done that to Reggie. So we're going to learn something. Um, Either, you know, that's assuming John's ready to come back. Um, he's traveling. I don't know what the evaluation he's due to be evaluated at the end of the week. Um, so this weekend, 
So I don't anticipate him playing uh, Sunday. He's definitely not playing Saturday. But we're going to learn something. We're going to learn if T. Lou is going to keep forcing a square peg into a round hole here. Uh, and the thing with Reggie is, at first, his return to the rotation was rocky. But, uh, you know, he's obviously played a lot better over the last week. He's in a much better mood. He's still He's still moving around as if to say, Whatever happens, I'm just going to be me anyway. And that is a level of, I don't want to say defiance, but like Reggie is definitely moving differently this year than last year. And I also think Reggie is comfortable being uncomfortable. This is a man who was willing to give up basketball just two years ago. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention to how T. Luce does the rotations to see what happens when both Marcus and Roko are healthy and see who winds up uh, starting like Luke starting Thursday against the Spurs was very interesting. There's a lot that we don't know yet about what T. Lou wants to do when he has a full deck. We're learning what he got to do when he had certain guys not available, whether it was Luke or PG or uh, John. And, and so there's still there's still a lot to figure out, and I'm not going to pretend like I know what T T Lou is going to do yet. Isn't that crazy that you're saying that when the Clippers have already played 51 games, that that he still doesn't know exactly what he wants to do, and they've got I believe 10 games until the All Star break, and then they'll have 21 games after the All Star break, so 31 games left to go, and he still doesn't quite know what he wants to do. It just seems crazy to me as and and it really just summarizes the season in that he hasn't had that full deck because Kawhi has been hurt PG has been hurt Kawhi has been limited and the back-to-backs he hasn't been able to play those guys and then you look at what you with Robert Covington the DMP CDs and John Wall getting hurt Kennard getting hurt Mark has been in out of the lineup it's really been difficult for Ty Lue to do this this season Norm missed pretty much the yeah. first half of uh, December after the Portland comeback. Yeah. That, we, was, that was another one, you know. Right, and we've seen how important Norm is to this team. It's it's difficult. And then even tomorrow. So we'll start looking at this road trip, and we'll start with tomorrow. So the Clippers will face off against Atlanta in a game where, frankly, they should have won at home. Um, lost that game by four in the January 8th is when that game was. So they'll go at Atlanta, at Cleveland, at Chicago, where you are, and then at Milwaukee, New York, and Brooklyn. So it's a tough six-game stretch. And you could say that probably three of those teams are pretty solid teams, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Cleveland. And then you got Atlanta, Chicago, and New York that can all be really pesky. When we look at that Atlanta game, so there's no Rocco, what do you anticipate is going to happen with the bench unit? Because... We've seen Rocco get the minutes that were going to Moses and to Musa. It certainly feels like if Ty Lue is going to continue doing what he was doing, then perhaps we will see Batum uh, play that role as the small ball five off the bench. But I would happen to think that you're going to see Musa or Moses tomorrow. What do you think? Well, it's interesting that Musa have been ruled out. Um, I don't, re- I don't recall a game where. Well, there have been games. Never mind. I do recall games, but not recently uh, where both Moses and Musa were active. I don't think they need Moses for this game. Um, like 
I don't know who Atlanta's lining up, but um, this game really comes down to communication. Um, they lost that Hawks game twice. The first time they lost it, it was because T. Lou, that was the last time T. Lou tried three-yard lineups, and you couldn't put it on, you know, obviously um, Terrence started that game. That was our first hint that T. Lou was making an adjustment, but it was a half step because he tried to play everybody still. He tried to play John, Reggie, and and uh, Norm together, and I knew he was going to do that. I knew that just because Reggie wasn't going to start, he was still going to try and see if that lot he could get away with that line because Luke was also missing his first game due to the calf that he wound up missing 20 days with. And so the Clippers got down big because of that lineup. Okay, so T. Luke makes the adjustment, and, and Reggie doesn't play in that second half. And then there's the other issue. The fact of the matter is they were up 11 and should have closed that thing out, and they failed to do it. Uh, because they just they they just didn't play well. They didn't communicate defensively. Norm's defense, that was the last time I could pretty much call out Norm for being really bad on defense. Like Norm was really bad at the point of attack, left early instead of helping to secure rebounds, et cetera. But I don't want to just single out Norm because even when Norm was out the game, even when they had T-Man and Zeus closing the game out, the play that beat them was – Trey Mann get in middle, get into his spot in the floater, which a, a lot of guys you're you're cool with, but Trey Young is elite with the floater. That entire Atlanta team, they're one of the heaviest mid-range teams in the league, and they couldn't stop that stuff down the stretch. So that's the n- next progression. Can the Clippers stop teams that shoot shots in places that normally you're cool with letting them shoot shots in? They'd be a lot of you know three-point heavy teams like dallas they beat paint heavy teams like the lakers and the spurs facing mid-range heavy teams is different because you're facing guys who are comfortable shooting in places that you don't normally like you know worry about defending it's kind of what beat the lakers what beat the lakers tuesday were all those pg and Kawhi mid-range shots i saw that from a mile away that's why i asked darvin ham about it before that game well you're going to see it saturday in atlanta you're also going to see it in Chicago, and you're going to see it when they get to Brooklyn at the end of this trip. That's going to be a big key to how much improvement the Clippers are defensively. Yeah, and it's it's still one of those things where I'm curious to see what happens with the bench. It feels like that's all we're going to be looking at is is how does Ty manage those right, ben- right, those right. Bench you, did, you did mention the bench. My um, so if you look at who's available, I think Marcus. I think Marcus will be able to play. Uh, I, I, I think that I really am going to be surprised if Marcus doesn't start. I think that one-time thing with Trey, I don't think – I think you can get away with that against the Spurs because they have zero threats. Um, an Atlanta team that starts John Collins, DeAndre Hunter, and uh, I, I believe Clinton is healthy. He wasn't healthy for the last game. Yeah, he's, he's, he'll healthy. he's healthy. He's healthy, yeah. Right. So, yeah, I don't think you mess around and have Kawhi uh, start um, at the four or PG technically was the power forward um, for Thursday against Spurs. I don't think you do that to Luke. Um, I, I do think they wind up going with their traditional um, starting lineup. And then that would allow you to have um, 
Norm and Luke uh, playing Nico in your Swiss Army knife role. I don't really look at him as a clear cut four, but um, right. I, I do think that uh, one of the two ways has to play, and I'm leaning towards leaning towards Musa being the guy simply because I just think that you got to switch. I think you got to have a switchable guy against a team that's going to be taking so many mid-range shots like the Hawks do. Yeah, so and it feels like you need to have a better defender is, against a Kongu. Yeah, um, not not just a Kongu, just just the right. fact that the ball with the Hawks stays out of the paint significantly, but they're not a good three-point shooting team. Mm-hmm. They're Dejounte Murray, Trey Young, those dudes handle so much of the offense, and so much of the offense is floaters and mid-range shots. I think you got to have a, 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 a switchable guy. I've seen Moses against uh, <laughs> against Atlanta. It didn't go great. So I think that Musa gets the shot here. And I think Musa hasn't played since Zach Collins lit him up in San Antonio. So um, I think with uh, Rocco out, um, I, I, I think that's who you look at um, getting those minutes. I just wonder if T. Lou messes around and tries Reggie, Norman, Luke together. I don't think he should, but I would not be surprised if those dudes are all playing, I hope for everyone's sake, they're not playing at the same time. Yeah. You took the words out of my mouth. I was going to ask you uh, because I was going to say, you know what, if that's the case where Luke does not start and Marcus does start, that means that you got that Luke Powell Reggie three some off the bench and you wonder what Ty Lue is going to do. And he doesn't have that Roko off the bench. So you wonder, okay, well, Batum is obviously going to be there. And then, two of the three, and then is it going to be perhaps Musa? That's that fifth or fourth guy off the bench. It, I, I, it's certainly going to be interesting to see what he does against Atlanta. Do you think PG plays in the second game of that double uh, back-to-back? I think PG I think PG's fine. I, I think Paul's healthy. The okay. question is what they do with Kawhi. Um, and I thought I thought the Minnesota game, because again, I was in Denver early this month and I asked, no one was thinking about back-to-backs, but I was. <laughs> and I, I asked in Denver, because I felt like the Denver is probably going to smack them. Like, probably Paul's, I didn't think Paul should have played. And I felt like they were going to lose. And I got ahead of it before the game even started. I was like, so what's the back-to-back plan? And that's the only time those dudes were listed as questionable you know, instead of just ruling, obviously Paul Paul will play if he's healthy. Mm-hmm. Paul, I think Paul's fine, so I don't think there's a concern there. Kawhi wants to play in these back to backs, and it's just a matter of the team has a plan, the medical staff has a plan, and uh, I am very interested to see how the plan goes uh, this weekend. Uh, Utah was a suggestion that they weren't listening to anybody and they were going to do what they do. But Utah is also coming from L.A., a very difficult back-to-back. Um, you're staying in time zone, at least. So I wonder. I, I, I'm not worried about Paul as much. I'd be surprised if he doesn't play Sunday. Kawhi is, I believe, up in the air. So we'll see. Interesting. And I think if I did my math correctly, I think there's three more back-to-backs after this weekend. and should it- be four. Is it including this weekend or after this weekend? Uh, so they are at because there's the they second, have 15, and third. 
They have 15 uh, back-backs this year, mm -hmm. and I believe that they've already played 10. I believe that this next one is 11. So they should have four um, four more back-to-backs after this one. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the schedule. I, I may be missing something, but I see Thursday, Friday, the 2nd and 3rd at Golden State at Sacramento after the All-Star yes. break, the 18th, 19th, Orlando at home, and then the, at Portland on the 19th. And then yep. um, there's the to close out the season, Portland at home, and then at Phoenix. So you wonder if the back, yeah, back if they're they're also they're at Memphis to end the miniseries, and then the next day they are at New Orleans. Yep. So yep, there's the one I'm missing. Yeah, exactly. So at Memphis, at New Orleans, you wonder, uh, uh, Law, if maybe this is a second half of the season. We'll play him in the back to backs, but before the All Star break, we're not going to. I I do wonder that, but fascinating what you said about the questionable thing because that certainly lends the possibility that they play together and the way they've been playing and the need to get momentum and start to win games. And I mean, the West is just an absolute shit show. That maybe they do play both games. It, it'll be interesting. Um, do you uh, take a look at this these six games, and I'm going to ask a really basic question, but one that I'm curious to get your thoughts on. The, the Clippers come out of this six-game road trip with what record? They How many wins do they get on this six-game roadie? Because I, I think that you would want at least four um, if you can, but it certainly feels like I don't three and three at minimum. What are your thoughts? Because it's six tough road games, including a back-to-back -back in there. Yeah, I think they split it. Yeah, um, that's that's been their road record this season. They got the most road wins in the in the West, which says more about the quality of the Western Conference than it does about the Clippers, to be honest with you. Uh, but um, I mean, the Clippers are a fair road team. I don't want to say they're a good road team. Um, like the Clippers are barely a, a fair basketball team overall, <laughs> to be frank. Um, you know, they, like the Clippers are slightly above sea level as a team overall for the season. Um, they're an average road team, but one that has been on the road a lot. They are comfortable on the road. If, if we can, if we can say that, like there are some teams in the West that are horrible on the road, like the new Orleans Pelicans are nine to 15 on the road, you know, um, like that's a, that's a concern. Dallas is nine and 15 on the road. Dallas is never good on the road and at home in the same year. Like there was a year Dallas was great on the road, but terrible at home. Um, the Clippers benefited from that, obviously, when the Dallas Mavericks lost all three of their home games in the playoff series. So uh, I, I look at the Clippers and this and this slate, and they're good enough to beat all of these teams, including Milwaukee, uh, which is clearly the best team, um, and the team most likely to be at the most full strength when uh, the Clippers visit. It's just it's, it's it is a tough slate. Uh, the back to back does not do the Clippers any favors. That Atlanta game, I was on the trip last year when they had to go to Atlanta after being on the West Coast. Um, it was it was not great. <laughs> like adjusting to the East time zone and being in Atlanta on a weekend is not not fun. It really isn't. Um, so Saturday will be tough. Sunday will be tough. Chicago will be tough because it, the way the Chicago Bulls play, it was a bad match for the Clippers last year overall. 
Milwaukee will be tough. New York will be tough because they're so physical. And then the end of the damn thing in Brooklyn, uh, like all of the games are tough. But I'm going to give the Clippers some credit with how they're coming into this thing. And I think they split it. And just to add, to make it even worse in that Milwaukee game, it's in the middle of a homestand for Milwaukee, and they're going every other day. So they'll have the rest advantage, and they'll already be home. And then also you look at the uh, the Nets game, where, by the way, oh, and that, uh, just to make matters worse, in that Milwaukee uh, ball game, before they play the Clippers, they get Charlotte the game before that. So you may see the starters only play three quarters, and then Brooklyn. Maybe, but, you know, the Bucks have weird games against the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, like, look, the NBA is weird. We This is my favorite part about the NBA schedule is you just never know when some team just, for whatever reason, has a team's number. And, I mean, shit. I don't, I don't think, uh, you know, they've only played twice this year, but last time they played the Hornets, they hosted the Hornets and gave up 138 points and Giannis's amazing streak that he had was snapped. So I remember that. And you just, you know, the Orlando Magic are 3-0 against the Boston Celtics, for instance. This yeah. Year, right. Yeah. Like, so I wouldn't I wouldn't put anything on who they're playing before or anything like that. I think the Clippers got to worry about themselves and secondarily. They need to worry about who they're playing. I wouldn't worry about, you know, um, how other teams are coming in. The Bucks have been, the Bucks are trying to figure themselves out, and so we're gonna we're, we're gonna learn a lot from every team on this trip. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, you could look at Brooklyn, and uh, between that, before the Clippers play against them, they get Washington a couple days before, and they only play Boston uh, about three days before that, so they don't have many games either. But like you said. Brooklyn also just lost to Detroit. So you, you really don't know game to game, but it certainly does help that Milwaukee gets Charlotte before they play the Clippers and Brooklyn plays Washington before they play the Clippers and both are in the middle of a homestand. So it certainly doesn't help the Clippers in that regard with the rest advantage and the obviously being away in the first place is never easy. So two tough games and they won't have the advantage in either one. It's going to be a tough road trip. Um, I think I'm most fascinated to see what happens with the bench and how many guards end up playing. Um, and I think secondarily, and what you mentioned, the back-to-back. And I'm now very intrigued to see if Kawhi and PG both play in that back-to-back against Cleveland. Um, what's the number one storyline that you're going to be watching as you um, watch this team during the six-game road trip? What are you going to be looking out for? I'm looking. I'm really looking to see just the steps that the defense can take. The offense has shown that when they take care of the basketball, they're going to get great shots, and they got guys who can make those shots, both in the paint as well as in the mid-range, as well as from three. Uh, so the offense has really been outstanding. Um, they've improved as Kawhi and PG have played. Can they do the same defensively? And they're they're going to be facing some very – very weird teams, but teams that if you can if you can show you can improve your defense against teams that do things that most of the league doesn't do, then you are that that level of improvement is more significant for me. So that is I'm very intrigued. I'm very intrigued because we've we've seen them outline the ways that the Hawks beat them and they were very upset 
Like, I can't tell you how many times Nicholas Batum has come up to me referencing the Hawks game specifically hmm. as a game that they should have won, felt like they should have won, and were upset with themselves that they did not win. So I'm very, very interested to see the adjustments in this second go-around um, in Atlanta particularly. Cleveland is a weird team to play because of Evan Mobley and Jared Allen's presence. You have rim protection. You have switchable guys. You got Link. Um, and, again, I don't know if Donovan is going to be healthy for that game. Uh, Donovan's been dealing with a groin issue, and Cleveland's been playing some weird basketball lately. Um, but, obviously, Donovan's a bucket. So, you know, they barely survived Donovan um, when the Cavaliers visited L.A. And the rest of the trip is just a matter of – consistency uh can, can can you build that defensive consistency i think the clippers are a good team with talent but they're not doing anything unless they get that defense straightened out and this is a good opportunity to do that yeah no doubt we, we talked about how good the defense was to start and then how bad the offense was but this is a good offensive ball club and they've got a lot of wings that should be pretty good defensively. So we'll see if they're able to put it together on this six game road trip, which is going to be huge against some good teams. We'll see if they can get some victories law. Always amazing to read your stuff, man. Really enjoyed, uh, your coming together with Yovan after that Clippers Lakers game. I thought that was fun that you guys did that. Um, keep churning out that awesome stuff on the athletic. Anything else you, uh, you want to promote, man? I gotta give another shout out to Yova myself. I mean, that dude probably wrote like five stories after that trade, or it was a part of five stories. So uh, I hit him up a week earlier because I wasn't sure what the Clippers were gonna look like. Again, this team is a lot different. Everything, the narrative is a lot different now than it was a week ago. You know, when they were uh, in the middle of that stretch of losing nine out of eleven. The Lakers had won, I think, five straight at one point. The Lakers are playing better basketball, so I wasn't sure what we were gonna get. Um, so shout out to him for handling what he's handling because it is certainly a lot more going on with that team, uh, with AD coming back from injury. They made a trade for a rotation player. Mm -hmm. Uh, they obviously everyone's looking to see when LeBron breaks this scoring record and you never know the Lakers are obviously trying to get another deal to make. So shout out to my guy. He's been on top of all of that, uh, for a team that's not over 500 yet yeah. and everybody else at the athletic we're doing a lot of great work trying to cover this league and i think we're doing it the right way we really care about who we're talking to and how we're doing what we're doing and we're trying to keep people's attention at a time where people love to act like they're not paying attention let's be real most people this time in the nba season they're not watching the games but they talking about stuff that's happening in the games and talking about trade stuff, even though a lot of them, a lot, they're, they're a lot like Shaq when it comes to actually knowing who these dudes are and what they're capable of. So <laughs> uh, we are working out here at The Athletic, and I'm always going to shout out um, my men and women or writing and editing on that side of things. And you're one of them, man. And you do a hell of a job covering the team. Really enjoy reading your stuff. And I think you do a great job covering the squad. You had big shoes to fill with Yovan. You've done an awesome job. And I, uh, I love having you on the pod. So stay warm. I know it's going to be difficult when you're going to Chicago and Milwaukee and uh, New York, but uh, I appreciate you coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. 
So that is my buddy La Murray at La Murray, the NU on Twitter. I'm at BD Marcus. A heck of a six game road trip coming up. It'll be San Ant- it'll be Atlanta on Saturday and then Cleveland on Sunday after that win against San Antonio yesterday. Until next time, I'm Brandon Marcus. That's Law and Go Clips. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.